0: That's the hard part is how do we identify each other? I've had a parent suggest that we should get shirts made that say, my child has an IEP, like just so when we're at the playground or whatever, the soccer field with our kids, we can find each other. Oh, okay. You're one of my people. But it's hard to, because so many people are afraid to to speak out loud about what's going on.
1: Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials. for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. As he so often does, he did the heavy lifting on editing this episode, and I greatly appreciate his help. I have four virtual summits to share with you, and I'm a part of all of them. The first is the Unleash Your Kids Genius Masterclass. It's going on now through September 24th. My presentation was on perfectionism, and it posted last Thursday, but you can still access it by signing up. The second is the Happy Child with Special Needs, where I'll be sharing my Wall of Awful model as well as other thoughts. It begins September 28th. The third summit is the Natural ADHD Solutions Summit. It takes place on October 5th, October 9th, October 12th, and October 16th. I will be presenting on the 9th, and since it's recording live... I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about yet. And finally, from Monday, October 19th through Thursday, October 22nd, the Parenting ADHD Summit. I'll be helping to close the summit out when I present on navigating virtual school with learning challenges. I hope at least some of these are timed in a way that you can participate in them. And I'd love to hear any feedback you have to provide regarding the ones you attend. And of course, Check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb. I enjoy listening to both shows. They really are high quality. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Debbie Reber. Debbie is a parenting activist, New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, and speaker who has been inspiring and sparking conversations for parents, women, and teens for 20 years. She's inspired tens of thousands of parents around the world through Tilt Parenting, her top podcast, community, and educational resource for parents raising differently-wired kids. In today's episode, Debbie and I discuss what got her into parent advocacy. She shares her observations on parenting during COVID, homeschooling and being flexible, why it's important to realize that we're not alone as parents of atypical children, the importance of avoiding getting caught up in our kids' emotional storms, and the good stuff about parenting a differently wired kid. All right, let's get rolling.
0: My name is Debbie Reber. I am most known these days as the founder of Tilt Parenting, which is a podcast and an online community for parents who are raising what I call differently wired kids. I'm also an author of and have been writing books for. 20 years now which is kind of crazy and the mother of a teenager i'm a wife and i live in brooklyn in new york city
1: awesome and you you're kind of a parenting activist sort of yeah how did you get there i mean i'm sure there's people listening who know that story but in case people don't can you briefly get us to that point
0: Absolutely. I didn't intend to be a parenting activist. That was, I had many careers I wanted to do when I was younger and that was not one of them, but I have always been a a ruckus maker and activist and I've always been, you know, whatever job I was doing for money in the corporate world, I was always spending my personal time volunteering. I used to work with homeless transgender teens in New York city back in the nineties. I worked and volunteered for young women and teenagers and girls for 15 years. And in fact, that's the work I was still doing when I gave birth to a son. And so I already was confused because I was pretty sure I was having a daughter based on all the work I had done in the in the girl advocacy space. And but I had a son and as he, you know, developed and we got to know who he is in the world, realized that, oh, this is an interesting Complex human. This is someone who has some, who's developing differently um, than your neurotypical kids. And so, as I kind of became more and more involved in figuring out how to support my son and discovering who he was and and seeing, wait a minute, there are a lot of cracks in the system that is designed to support kids that, that are not really working for my family, for my child. And I started recognizing this there's a huge need to support parents who are going through this. And so when my son was about 8, I which was 8 years ago, I just decided, you know what? I it's time to make a big pivot in my professional work and I kind of I finished up my last book for teenagers and I decided to put all my energy into supporting parents who were raising kids who were kind of outside the box and were struggling to to fit in. And that's kind of how tilt parenting ultimately came about. So I've always been really good at organizing and gathering resources and information and then disseminating it in a way that inspires other people. And so I took all of those skills and I put it into Tilt Parenting.
1: And Tilt is phenomenal. It's an incredible resource. I'm really excited to have you on to clue my audience into Tilt if they're not already tuned in. Thank you. I'm wondering about how COVID is playing out Sort of both for you as a mom of a differently wired kid, and also what are you seeing in Tilt in your community?
0: Yeah, and I should say that Tilt parenting, the community is pretty broad. I appeal to parents whose kids, a lot of kids with ADHD, kids who are gifted, maybe ADHD and gifted, which is a fun combination, Uh, kids on the spectrum, kids with sensory issues, kids with learning disabilities. So it's a really big group. But I would say there are kind of two different camps within my community right now. So there is a smaller group of parents whose kids are really thriving during COVID because school is a stressful place for them because of the expectations and the unpredictability and the demands and the social challenges for all those reasons. Maybe they're being bullied And so, a lot of the kids in in my community are spending a lot of time in fight or flight mode in school. And so, now that they're home, they're kind of thriving. And so, that is interesting to see. Then there's the majority of other uh, families in the community, and their kids are really struggling for a number of reasons. You know, it might be that, well, remote learning is just not a fit for so many differently wired kids. It's really, really tricky i know that you know this um it's difficult to to expect a differently wired kid to attend to zoom classes for eight hours a day or whatever it it is for for some people Um, and then there is that sense of social isolation that a lot of these kids are feeling i know um it's just hard if kids were already struggling to connect and now having to connect in a way that feels really foreign is difficult and you know, in, in my world, it's kind of interesting because I homeschooled my son for six years when we were living uh, abroad. And most of it was remote learning. He was doing online classes. I brought in a few tutors. I taught a few subjects, but for the most part, it was remote learning. And so my son was all excited to go back to school. And he, he got in seven months at school before now he's right back where he started again. So For us, the transition has been okay because we're familiar with this routine, but we were ready to not be in this routine anymore. So we're having our own adjusting to do.
1: That leaves me wondering about the transition for your son when you started homeschooling, because as you said, it was mostly virtual learning. How was that process? And I'm admittedly asking you to think back like, I don't know, six years or so. So feel free to be like, I don't know, (laughs) that's an okay answer. But do you recall what that transition was like for him and how long did it take him to get comfortable with the virtual learning and all that stuff?
0: I do because it was a very traumatic year for me. (laughs) I remember a lot about that year. So, you know, I should say that I was a reluctant homeschool teacher. It wasn't my plan. And I really felt a lot of pressure to do it right. I mean, that's the way I do everything, right? I had it organized. I had charts. I had, you know, detailed curricula. I was working with a curriculum consultant. I, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do it right. And that was not met with a lot of enthusiasm by my son at the time, because, you know, he had been, he had spent three years, kindergarten, first and second grade in fight or flight mode, you know, three different schools really not thriving in any of them and internalizing the message that i'm broken i'm i'm screw up i'm the bad kid and so i didn't initially realize how much kind of de-schooling he needed how long a period of time we needed to take to just kind of do nothing and kind of get back to a baseline of safety and security. So once I kind of realized that my perfectly planned out agenda was not a match for what was happening with him and I started to back off and more follow his lead things started to get better. And so I would say that first year of homeschooling was a lot of us actually just figuring out how do we want to design this school? And you know, back then the a lot of the remote learning we did together so yeah, I remember an art history class that we did together, but I would sit with him because it was a whole new way of learning and the distraction possibilities are endless uh, when you're using tech to learn. And so it was very hands-on for me. And then with every year that we we went down this journey together, we just kept redesigning it based on how he was doing you know and and i had the freedom of saying well you're really interested in textures right now or whatever it was at the time let's let's go there what do you want to talk about so i had a lot more freedom than a lot of parents today have with the current system
1: you mentioned that that first year felt traumatic for you do you have any idea how it felt for your son and i asked that because there are plenty of times as school wrapped up, and I'm sure when school starts again, where myself as a parent, other parents, it's really stressful for us. And it's easy to put that on our kids, even if they're not experiencing that level of stress. So I'm wondering how that played out for you.
0: He was angry about the fact that we moved And kind of plucked him from his life in Seattle. And we moved to the Netherlands uh, without consulting him first. So when he was eight, uh, there was a lot of anger in general. And so that really just weaved its way into every aspect of our time together. You know, I think he, he actually liked the freedom and the flexibility to uh, to not have to finish something in 20 minutes and then pivot to something else completely different when he was still like, wanted to spend a lot more time doing this other thing. So he, he did kind of recognize that he liked just the flexibility in our schedule, but it, it was a different situation than kids are are experiencing today. I think the hardest part is that, and I think this is true for kids today. Like so many of our kids, The predictability is what helps them stay regulated, or at least that knowledge of what's going to happen. And so to have your whole world thrown upside down, which I guess is actually what happened to him too, it was very dysregulating.
1: Yeah, there are some parallels. It's not the same, but there are some parallels here.
0: Yeah, there are. It's true. So that that lack of control and that sense of powerlessness and that this is what I chose and this is being imposed on me you know yeah that is the same thing as now and and yeah he there was a lot of just anger about it when he was little you know i think as they get older it comes out in different ways you know sadness depression uh whatever else that might look like but
1: staring at a screen as much as you possibly can yeah yeah
0: avoidance um trying to distract yeah all those things right
1: and that story and the parallels that that we can see in it in a roundabout way brings me to a picture on your website that I, I just love. I think it's great. It, it's a, it's a major value of mine. Um, and so I was really excited to see it on your, on your website. And you don't really address this particular topic, but there's at least not overtly it's all implied, which is pretty amazing too, but there's a picture of you. And on it, you have a shirt that says you are not alone or you're not alone. I'm forget if it's a contraction or not. And that's coming out in the story just in us seeing those parallels of like pulling your kid out of Seattle and bringing him to the Netherlands. That lack of control, that lack of knowing what's going to happen next is similar to COVID 19 and all of the uncertainty that we're experiencing now. And so there's that, this level of not being alone, even when the situations are different, there's still parallels. But how does that? idea of not being alone. How is that playing out for you and why is why is that picture there? What is what is it that you're hoping to express?
0: Well, I think feeling isolated and as if no one really knows how hard things are in your world as a parent is a really painful dark place to reside and I know that I stayed in that space for a number of years because my experience and, you know, and with my husband, our experience as parents was just so different than what we saw playing out in our friendships, in our in relatives, in our community. And you just feel like you're being otherized constantly when you're the one getting the phone calls from teachers or you're the one whose kid isn't invited to, you know, whatever event because the parents don't want them there or when play dates aren't reciprocating, like all those things makes you feel, Oh, and then you have friends who are kind of downplaying the challenges when you're sharing, they're trying to be like, Oh, kids do that. And you're like, but no, you don't get it. This is a whole new level. And all of that just makes, makes us feel as if we're not our experiences and being seen. And so we just kind of our worlds get smaller and smaller. To me, that is unacceptable because we are everywhere. Like, there, our kids are everywhere. <laughs> and, and when I started working on tilt Parenting and just kind of reaching out and seeing, like, finding the community, this idea of feeling isolated was universal. And I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that at least 20% of kids, and I believe it's way more than that are in some way neurologically atypical. Yet all these parents feel like their kid is the outlier, their family is alone, and they're afraid to talk about what's happening because of stigma. I mean, it's just such a messed up way to move through the world. And so a huge goal of TILT Parenting is to help parents realize, yeah, that they're not alone. And actually we are everywhere and there's nothing wrong with your kid. And that is the piece, like when people find me now, and they'll often just email me, they're like, oh my gosh, I just found your podcast. And for the first time, I felt like someone was speaking my experience and I found my tribe. And that sense of belonging is so powerful and it, and, and it helps the parents have a grounding that will allow them to then really show up for their kids so the family can actually thrive.
1: I've had the same experience, right? My, especially my parent coaching groups, where they're, all of a sudden there's eight to 10 families who are like, oh, hey, you really the same thing? That's amazing. And people feel seen for the first time and feel understood for the first time. And one of the things that in my personal life that gives me the most purpose, maybe, or meaning or comfort, all of the above, is I know what's up with all of my friends' kids. Because they know what I do. They know I'm an ADHD coach and they're comfortable saying like, Brendan, we had this struggle. Like my kids got dyslexia. Do you know any resources? What do I do about my kids? IEP 504. Even our friends that have kids that are like pretty straight and not having the special needs stuff and all that. They still like (laughs) one of our families at the end of not this year, but the last year was like, Oh no, our son spent the last three days of school in the principal's office (laughs) because he couldn't. He was just struggling with the end of school and was acting out and was in the principal's office for three days. And he's like a super straight arrow kid, doesn't really do stuff wrong all that often. But none of the parents I know feel the least bit ashamed in telling me about the struggles of their kids. And I, I wish that for everybody. I wish that every parent felt like they could talk to their friends about, this is how my kid's weird or how my kid is struggling or how my kid is differently wired because it doesn't matter. And and so I, I, I love that you have that shirt on.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I I'll just share like a little story that I I love. When I I when differently wired my book came out, I was doing a book tour and I went to this really small independent bookstore in Pennsylvania. I don't remember the town. And there were maybe 30 people came to it. And at the end, these four women came up to me. They wanted to take a picture with me and we're chatting. And as it turns out, they all they've lived in the same community their whole lives. They they knew they recognized each other visually from school pickups or band practice or soccer or whatever. And they had no idea that each of each of them was raising a differently wired kid. And they were so excited that they found each other and that they were going to start. They started a little group, like a little support group. And um, that's the hard part is How do we identify each other? I've had a parent suggest that we should get shirts made that say my child has an IEP, like just so when we're at the playground or whatever, the soccer field with our kids, we can find each other. Oh, okay, you're one of my people. But it's hard to, because so many people are afraid to to speak out loud about what's going on.
1: Yeah, and that's, I I guess I used to, I don't know, COVID is making things weird. I used to do in-person workshops a lot, now not so much, but I would go to a school and be presenting for parents. And just like you're saying, I would make it a point eventually. It took me a little while to realize I should do this, but eventually I would stop and say, all right, see everybody in here. All of you are affected by ADHD. So hang out, like go have coffee, make friends. Like these are your people. They're going to get it. And it's important to be able to find that, that feeling of aloneness of not not having a connection no one else in the whole town has a kid with adhd or autism or giftedness or anxiety or whatever that's unhelpful thinking right that's just it doesn't work it's not actually true even and one of the things that you work on one of the main missions that you've got and that is a main mission of tilt parenting is to help parents uncover that kind of unhelpful thinking about who their kids are or the situation that they're in what are some of those unhelpful thoughts? And how do you help parents navigate them?
0: There are so many. There are so many thoughts that we, you know, because we all become parents with a set of expectations about whether we know it or not, about who we will be as parents, what our family is going to look like, what our values are going to be, who our kids are going to be. And of course, for any parent, doesn't matter how their child's wired, they're not going to be the child that you thought they were going to be. And so that disconnect can be really tricky. But for parents with differently wired kids, one of the first things that people struggle with is just the idea that their child is, there's something wrong with them, right? That this is a problem that needs to be fixed. And because, you know, suddenly the the path we're on is not the one we wanted to be on, you know, and so, and we've got. We've got to figure out how to get back on that other path. And so we put so much energy into fixing our kid. And so that's a big area uh, that we focus on is kind of just really uncovering the beliefs, the unhelpful beliefs that we as parents might have about limitations and future potential and you know stereotypes that we might buy into around ADHD or around uh, neurological differences and we have to do that work on ourselves and uncover what those beliefs are otherwise they are going to impact the way we show up for our kids no matter what we're saying to them or what we're doing so a lot of the work that i do or you know that i encourage parents to do is is that kind of deeper inner work so really getting to know what your own triggers are, right? What your own, you know, with I'm just with kids with ADHD, they often can uh, blurt things out, right? This is an example I use, they're interrupters, because when they have an idea, they wanna share it right then and there, and I get that. And there's two ways to look at that. That could be something that annoys the heck out of a parent, and that's something like, stop interrupting, right? Or that's something that's like, well, you, you know, that's a trigger for me. Maybe that makes me as a parent feel disrespected. Maybe that makes me feel like, you know, my child um, isn't being compliant or like I might make it mean all of these things. What it means is that my kid has an idea that really is hard for him to not share in that moment. And so if I can take away my own, you know, attachment to the way this should look or how it's making me feel, and instead realize, oh, there's a lagging skill here, how can i show up so that my child can learn this skill and we can feel really good about it in the process so there's a lot of just untraining and uncovering of those beliefs that many of us have had based on our own childhoods or you know life experiences
1: that perspective that it's a lagging skill is huge and important and really hard all at the same time it's hard to figure out what skill is lagging it's hard to figure out when it's a skill and when it's just an incident, like maybe just this time my kid happened to blurt something out and they don't typically blurt stuff out. So it's not a lagging skill. They're just tired or I don't know, maybe they got a Coke they weren't supposed to have or something and they're all hopped up on caffeine. And when is it fairly consistent? And that blurting things out, that's actually a lagging skill that I'm working on with my kids right now. It's not exactly interrupting and it's not exactly blurting out because if people are talking and stuff, they don't they're not going to interrupt with a random thought. But what they are interrupting is like, I'm going to go with tranquility. Like when my wife or I finally get a few minutes to be chill and quiet and not talk or do anything, <laughs> they'll wander into the bedroom or outside to the hammock or whatever it is and immediately start talking. And there is no, hey, what are you up to? Is like, do you have five minutes? Can I tell you about that? Doesn't happen.
0: Like they have a whole thing going on and they they bring you in halfway through, right?
1: Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that plants versus zombies should have a dandelion plant that does this?
0: Good question, actually. What?
1: That's an important
0: one. Yeah. No, I can totally, totally relate. I used to, I, I, I never did, but I always wanted to keep track of just like the random things that, my son would come in and discuss because they'd be about, you know, some 18th century philosopher or like just the randomest thing. I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, why, why, how do you know that? Why are you thinking about that? But that he's got it discussing that moment and I find it entertaining uh, most of the time.
1: It's helped me to start asking, how did you get there? Yeah. Like, or where did you even hear about that? Sometimes I, have to ask that question. that's where we are at the moment.
0: <laughs> I remember those days. I, I'm still not out of them, but yes.
1: <laughs> well, where are you what's what's sort of as a mom of a differently wired kid? What's that experience like for you with covid and 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 you mentioned that you've got a book sort of half forming in your head at the moment?
0: Yeah, oh goodness. I just have to say in context, it's been a really challenging almost two years because we moved back to the US at the very end of 2018. And we made the wrong decision about where to live. So we've moved three times since then. And it's been highly disruptive. Um, And so we've landed here in in Brooklyn, we just passed our year anniversary. So I feel and and then we started school like my son started school for the first time ever. uh, Since second grade. And so there has just been a lot of upheaval and transition and settling in and repatriation is so much harder, especially in the climate in which we live. Uh, So it's been a tricky year for us. And so it's just been interesting. I mean, what, what we're good at as a family is there's three of us and we have had to rely on each other so much in our moves. And especially when we lived abroad, like we travel together a lot and we're, we're really tight as a family. So in that way, we're good. Like we hang out, we have all our meals together. We do puzzles. We watch community. Like we have our things and we, you know, my husband and son exercise together. My son and I go on walks together every day down to the red hook pier to get a piece of key lime pie. Like we've got our things And so we're good in that way, but it's really tricky with the social isolation. We haven't really found our people here yet. And my son hadn't had the opportunity to really forge, you know, solid relationships with other kids, with other teens. And so Brooklyn is not where I would have, where I would have chosen to live out a pandemic the spring was pretty rough. And so things feel like they're coming back to life a little bit and we're feeling optimistic about, about what remote learning is going to look like. And, you know, my son's school is really committed to trying to find creative ways for kids to connect with one another. And yeah, we're figuring out how to, how to make it work. So we're feeling, it, it was a dark couple months as I'm sure it has been for so many of your listeners. And I feel this week, I'm feeling optimistic, as is my son and husband. So I'm going to go
1: with that. <laughs> that's awesome. And I love that you mentioned optimistic, because that's where I wanted to go next. Because it can be hard to live through a global pandemic, to have a differently wired kid, to be repatriating, but there's also good stuff hiding inside, right? There's, there's some awesome in the awful. What are the good things about being a mom of a differently wired kid?
0: Oh my gosh, there are so many. I mean, first of all, I say this to my parent community a lot, and I don't know if they believe me because many of them have kids who are younger and they're really in the thick of the really hard years where the emotional dysregulation is kind of taking over the family. And, you know, these kids... They, they outgrow a lot of those really tricky behaviors. Um, but what I love about these kids is they demand so much of us as parents. So, you know, parents of neurotypical kids, they're just, they're going to do their thing. They're going to, their kids are going to go to the neighborhood school or whatever school, and it's going to be fine. They're going to have friends. Like, they're just going to kind of move through the world in this very lovely, expected way. And our kids are like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to put so much more into this relationship. I'm going to demand that you show up for me in a, on a level you never dreamed possible. Like that's the agenda our kids come in with. They're like, if you think you can phone this in in any way, shape or form, you are mistaken. And, so, and, and that is not to say that other parents are phoning it in. I, I don't want to say that at all. But our kids do require, if we're going to be successful in parenting them, We have to really go there with them. We have to do that deep work on ourselves. We have to go through a lot of, I think, pain and challenge and struggle with our partners. If we have a partner to figure out a path, we might be advocating. Like it's hard work what we're doing. And, but on the flip side of that, doing that investment with our kids creates the potential for such an incredible connection with who they are. And I said, I was a reluctant homeschooler. Like I really did not want to homeschool. I love my work. I love being alone. I love my space. I was really, really not excited about it. And within a couple of years, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an honor that I get to spend this time with this kid because I know him and he is incredible. And he's fascinating. And I learn so much from him. He challenges me. He's pushed me to learn about myself, to heal wounds from my childhood. I mean, this kid has like broken me wide open. And it's because I, I went there. Like I was like, I'm all in what I'm here for you. And we, I mean, what 16 year old wants to go for a walk with his mom every day and talk about stuff. I. Love that we do that, that we have that bond. And to me, that is the greatest gift I I feel. And and even in this time of COVID, you know, I really want him to be out in the world and, and doing his thing and being independent. And while he's here, this is precious time that we are spending together that a lot of parents of teens wouldn't normally have that opportunity to really get to know their kids in this way.
1: And it sounds like that connection is making this COVID process easier, too, because you're used to being with him a lot. Mm-hmm. and there's I know there's parents I'm talking to that are not used to seeing their kids so much, and it's a little overwhelming. Yes,
0: it is. And I will also say, like, for context, we live in the tiniest apartment with no outdoor space, so we are like really living together right now way more than i would have expected and I, it's also tricky because i think our kids are this is hard on our kids like they're feeling i mean i know anxiety rates are through the roof and existential crises and and you know definitely wired kids tend to be thinking about those things even more right they're just more they're deeper often in their thinking and their existentialism and so I find, and maybe your listeners will relate to this too, I'm really having to make sure that I don't get enmeshed with his emotions when he's having a bad day or feeling down or all of those things. It's really easy for me to get sucked into that and to feel, you know, just wrapped up in that and have it impact the way I show up and feel. And so that's been a challenge. And I, I, I think that's true for, like, we're all feeling for our kids so much. And that just adds so much more stress and pain to what we're personally experiencing.
1: I couldn't agree more. I have the same struggle and try to keep myself out of those emotional storms as much as I can. And it's, it's not always easy. And speaking of pulling out of things, just being mindful of time, <laughs> do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: You know, what I'm hearing from so many parents right now is that they're really worried about their kids and they're afraid of what the school is going to do for them they're trying to find the perfect choice they're given options of hybrid or remote or whatever it is they're so stressed out about this and they're also feeling ill-equipped to provide for their child what they need and so i guess kind of my two things i would say is one that there is no one way to go through this there is no right way this especially with differently wired kids we gotta feel this one as we go along and we have to be willing to pivot, stay curious and open to, to the possibilities because what is right for our kid may not even exist yet. Um, so just, just know that if you're looking for like the perfect thing right now, it probably doesn't exist, but to trust yourselves. And that's what I would say. Secondly, is just that you, you know, all of you listening, you've got this, like you are the right parent for your child. And to just trust in your ability to to provide for them what they need and be just try to stay open and curious. And I always say this this is even when there's not a pandemic, this isn't about finding the plan for the next five years or finding the right school fit. And then let's, you know, we're good to go through high school. These kids, we need to be a little bit more touching base frequently. And it might be a year-by-year plan. And right now, it might be a week-by-week plan. And that's okay.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at Brendan